What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Brains, Building Hearts. Chris McAllister, James Royce, Brett Burchard. Uh, we're in our final episode of the mindset series we've been doing. We're talking about the eight mindsets for world-class performance that we talk about in the book, Catching Confetti. I'm saving you the steps, Chris. You don't have to walk back to your bookshelf this time. (laughs) I was already leaping in my mind. (laughs) Uh, I'm excited about this one because it's where all the mindsets we've talked about to this point um, culminate and and mix together and work together in, um, I guess, this perfect cocktail of of performance state, um, which we call in the book relaxed intensity, um, and it's kind of this this optimal state of being uh, where you just experience life to the fullest and perform at your best, and all the good stuff happens. Um, so, yeah, I guess. I don't know where to take it from here other than to kind of describe uh, relaxed intensity. Um, Chris, I know you have a way of kind of categorizing um, flow uh, in an acronym. Um, But I guess I'd also want to hear about your all's experience in in relaxed intensity and or or flow experiences um, and where it where it shows up for you the most. Um, But relaxed intensity, just in defining it being a relaxed presence, nothing to prove, nothing to hide, not chilling on the couch, but surrendered our skills to instincts. We're not forcing anything. We're cooperating with what's unfolding. Um, And then an intensity of focus, not a furrowed eyebrow, stressed out focus, but full absorption in the moment, Um, removal of all distractions, um, high alertness, high attention. Um, so you're fully present, fully engaged. Like I said before, I think it's where the the beautiful stuff happens, the best stuff happens. Um, Chris, why don't you share? I like your little framework uh, for flow. If you remember what I'm talking about, yeah, um, yeah. And then I'd like well, to hear where you guys experience it. I, you know, uh, of what you're describing before we even get into flow, it's the biological state we aim for: alert and calm. Like that's when we are at our best from an evolutionary standpoint, we're caught between the battles for those two things, which is why modern expression of living is so difficult for people uh, because it, it just messes us up on all these fronts. There's so many things that get us looped in and obsessive and, and worried. And yeah, we're fighting this losing battle systemically. If you look at large populations, first world that are very wealthy, staying alert and calm at the same time, maintaining those dual states that's where everything beautiful happens because it can. So it's kind of like, you know, there's some people that just aim for alert and calm and they're happy, but they're not having, or they're fulfilled maybe is a better word, but they're not having the, the flow state beyond that. That is the mystical experience. That is the transcendent experience. That is the meaningful experience. Um, and so once you've learned to stay in a steady state of alert, but calm, then you're there more, more open for flow moments, which flow, fear, F fades to the background. And, and that fear is existential. You know, there's, we want people to like us. And we want them to think that we do a good job at whatever we're trying to do. So the fear fades to the background. There's a loss of time. 
We're not relating to time in an unhealthy way, the regrets of the past, or the anticipation of the future that causes anxiety. There's an overflow of practice, which is what you said. You surrender your skills to instincts. There's something that you've been doing where you've practiced it enough that you then can get into the we and me consciousness. So it's something that you're having as an individual experience, but it's a part of a group experience also. Uh, It doesn't always have to be a group experience. It could be a flow state that's individual. But oftentimes, because flow means I don't have to look out for the individual consciousness I possess, I can therefore expand into assuming the greater whole also experiencing it, which is why people could go for a walk in the woods alone, but still feel connected and a part of something whole. Extreme sports. You know, for me, the ultimate flow states are uh, playing and laughing, hanging out, and that could be with my family or friends, speaking, writing, music states, exercise, leadership is a flow state. Um, But as I've learned this year, I've taken new ground in some ways and new levels bring new devils. And I've had some moments that you guys know weren't flow states, and I've relived that in my mind too many times. So that's me uh, just trying to briefly hit it to answer your question. That's awesome. Jimmy, what does it resonate for you? It's it's interesting. I had a conversation earlier today with a client. Um, I didn't use the phrase flow state, but I shared my own personal experience with this journey of this desire to become unoffendable. And, uh, you know, so what does it mean to be unoffendable? The way I explained it to, to him was it's, it's, it's this ability to receive feedback as data but not as information that has to create an emotional charge, right? It's just data. And so when I, when I think of that, the description I gave to him was, you know, that allows me not to approach feedback with emotion, but just with a practical sense. And it allows me not to create a barrier, that emotional barrier to learning or listening that I now have to get over, right? So if you can reduce the emotional reaction, you eliminate the barriers that prevent using the word we're using today, the flow state, you know, the ability to just experience and operate at a high level. And so I, I kind of continually go back for me to this idea of, um, you know, that check on emotion, because so often emotions create the barriers that create friction, Right that prevent us from being in a flow state. And uh, so that's what I thought about. I mean, it's, to me, it's a really, it's a really neat way to look at the world. And I just, and I think back to any kind of a situation where I was really highly productive, I was calm. I was present. I wasn't caught up in judgment. And so for me, it's all, it's been about how do I get there? Well, I get there by checking myself. And making sure that um, I'm resisting as often as I can those um, those emotional reactions to the data that I take in. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Right on, baby. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. It's uh, hard to do it's, with family. It's cool you, said- you know, it's yeah. easy to do with clients. It's really hard to do with family. Uh, right? I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, it's it's cool you said. Uh, what you brought up there, Jimmy, because I do believe like the space of relaxed intensity is just is a combination of all the mindsets. And you hit on like three or four of them, just in what you talked about, like the victor mindset of using all experiences and feedback as data for growth. Um, 
not being a victim to those circumstances. And then, you know, the emotional awareness, um, we, we talked about in the relaxed mindset, like just paying attention to emotions. And, and I would even challenge you on that one is that it's not like shutting off emotion, but paying attention to like what emotion arises in me and why, or where did that come from? Um, and not overreacting to it, but not ignoring it, diminishing it, paying attention and learning, being a victor again and, and growing because of it. Um, Chris, you talked about like the overflow of practice, being in the process mindset, you know, developing your skills and, and be loving the, the, the craft skill building. So when you get time to performance time, you just, you can flow. It just overflows. So cool how it all it all fits together there. Yeah, for me too, it's this idea of, we talked about in one of the other episodes, you're not simmering in the six. You're flipping between the fully on deep relaxation. So not only is it alert, but calm is a consistent state, but also deep calm states and then very alert states. Um, and, you know, that's that's the stuff, you know. And I realized I totaled up the other day I've got like 166 sessions on this one app this year, and those are 20 minutes each and over a hundred sessions on the waking up app. And one of those is about contemplation. One of those is about meditation, but like, you know, I'm, I'm challenged and I want to get to the next level. That practice has been foundational for navigating so much this last year, being in that state where it's a relaxed intensity. Um, so yeah. A lot of passion. What do you what do for state, about, Brett? Well, what you're talking about is like flow is at the 10 or the one. Mm -hmm. Like flow is not just, you know, oh man, I'm, I'm raining threes. I'm, you know, breaking records, whatever. Flow is also like I'm resting, recovering, relaxing, enjoying a quiet moment with myself or the family. So it's found both. Yeah. So what, my most for you is flow states. My <laughs> most consistent flow state is playing cornhole. <laughs> nothing like a, a challenge to uh, um, win supremacy of the household and beat my dad in a game of cornhole that drives me to flow state every time. Awesome. <laughs> I, I want to pick up pickleball. I must be getting old. Is that is that an old sport? I'm like pickleball looks freaking cool. <laughs> but it's taken the world. It's taken the country. At least like it's not just old people anymore. It's fun. It's a fun game. Have you played it a bunch? Uh, a few times. My parents play it a lot. So every time we get with them, uh, we play it. It's a blast. Okay. I went and played with with my dad's friends, and it's like 75 year old ladies killing me. <laughs> so it knows no, it's, it's got no age limits on that one. You get no advantage for being young and spry. <laughs> That's awesome. Jimmy, we got to play, man. Pickleball. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it makes me think back to think about flow, Brett, in the context of competition or in the context of winning, right? Or, or more broadly in the context of the outcome. Uh, and Chris, you made me think of this when you talked about contemplation and meditation, right? So a lot of times we go into those contemplative and meditative states. The advice is, 
you know, don't think about the outcome. Don't think about what you want. Don't think about achieving or doing. Just be present. Um, and I think, and I'm wondering if I should be thinking about competitive situations in the same way. Does it break us out of that flow state when we're so focused on the outcome? Uh, are we in a flow state when we're operating effectively and we simply have confidence or faith that? You know, we're doing our best and the outcome will take care of itself. You know, how, how does somebody in a competitive environment think about flow or should they be thinking about flow? You should tell the Sean White story, Brett, unless you had one come to mind strongly. Yeah, it's, yeah that is a good one. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get to that one. And I think the first thing that came to mind, Jimmy, was like, you know, in the competitive state, you can be in flow and try to win. Right. Like, I think you're so ingrained in the game and in the moment that, uh, you know, you are, you're, you're strategizing. You think, I'm just thinking about it from a basketball perspective, like so caught up in the game and, and all the details and everything that's happening. I realize we're down three with 45 seconds to go, you know, and I'm trying to win that game. Uh, but I'm so consumed by the moment. I'm not ignoring the scoreboard, but now I'm consumed by all the details of, of understanding what levers can I pull? What can we do next? Uh, what are the right next plays? So we end up winning the game. Um, now I'm not like pursuing it. Like we're losing my life is on the line. You know, if, if we lose my identity is shot, you know, whatever, like there's all this pressure on the winning losing. Uh, but it is like I'm am trying to win it. Like that's the game. That's the the point. And so you get in there and you know, hey, I need to I need to hit four holes on this round of cornhole to win the game. But let's figure out how to do it. Let's drop into flow state and figure out how to get that done. Um, you're talking about the Sean White story, so I'm trying to remember all the details. But uh, it's he's it's a qualifier for the Olympics. Sean White's the snowboard uh, snowboarder. Um, Qualifier for the Olympics, all the, the marketing and advertisement for the upcoming Winter Olympics was, you know, watch for Sean White, pay attention to Sean White. Sean White's going to be competing for gold. And he hadn't even qualified yet. And this is the last qualifier going into the Olympics. And uh, he's on his last three runs. And his, his first run, he tries, um, he, whatever, he has a great run. And then at the end, he spills on his last last bit. And he's like, man, I just, you know, I messed up. I missed it. My legs got tired, whatever. I missed it. So he goes up, he does his second run and, uh, he tries something new. He thinks he's got to do, you know, something special or whatever. And he tries something new, changes his routine, wipes out again. So now he's on his third and final run and, uh, to qualify for the Olympics. And he gets up there and he's not even ready. And the guy was the, the producer of the show was like, Sean, why you're up? Go, 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 go. He's, he looked at his coach. He's like, what do I do? I was just like, go win it. And uh, I can't remember the phrase. Do you remember the phrase, Chris? He walked in, yeah. he like dropped in. Go ahead. <clears throat> well, no, yeah. He's, just, he's trying to get the feedback from his coach and they're calling him that it's time to go. So he doesn't get to apply mental thought. And so then he nails the run. Why? And he talks about it. I got up there and I got out of my head basically. 
and I was just who I was, mm-hmm. you know, rough paraphrase, but yeah, just went a little crazy. Like he's like, just go for it. Just go surrendered to instincts. And, surrendered. and that's the, you know, for the people that are applying themselves to learn like crazy, if you're growing, you're in places where you may not feel amazing about what you're doing because you're getting a lot of upgrades to your view of reality. I mean, how I emotionally felt about myself and my performance in 2019 is in my mind, it felt way better than I feel about myself right now. But it's not that I've gone backward. It's that I'm trying to take a new level. And so there's a lot more time, you know, I'm getting lots more scrapes and bruises. Um, So when those moments of extreme performance come, I can surrender to my instincts and be at another level. And I just love that. I love that story because that's, that's the idea. When we're in our head too much, we suffer. Rational, rationality is wonderful for our species. Wonderful as a step of maturity and growth. Terrible as an endpoint. And right. more and more people are talking about that you know, in society, that it's more about the integrated whole experience, which I guess. Let's freaking go on that all day. (laughs) (laughs) Where is this showing up for you, Jimmy? I love the conversation. Uh, When I hear you guys talk about it, I I think about this idea of judgment, right? So whenever whenever we start thinking about, I think, I think this idea of winning is great, right? We are, the intensity comes from our commitment to the outcome, but we can't achieve the outcome if we're consumed by it, right? If I'm consumed by what ifs, then I'm not focused on what I'm doing. And so we're distracted, which is what I think Sean White was talking about, right? So he's in his head, he's distracted from what it's going to take to be successful. And that's creating a barrier for him. And I think the same thing applies in all of our lives. When we start thinking too much about outcomes and what ifs we get into that judgment we get into that doubt and we haven't even done anything yet like we, we're, we're talking ourselves out of it we haven't done anything yet and it, it always has bothered me when someone said when i would say to somebody hey why don't you give it a try no nah, it'll never work Nah, it's not gonna the odds are too high I'm like well how do you know i just know i'm not gonna worry about it so it's like it's that kind of a a process where we are defeated before we even give it a shot. But if we could, if we could, if we could get rid of the judgment and get rid of this need to be right and get rid of this um, fear of being wrong or of having our identity challenged, we could just flow and find out who gives a shit. Just find out what's it going to cost you. Which is the childlike state, and and that's that gets beat out of emotionally, psychologically out of children. It's probably too harsh of a verb to use, but it feels true. The approach that says you either do it wrong or right versus I'm learning, I'm learning because everything right. is graded. So it's all wrong or right. And I think for me, the trick is I suffer the most when I apply the intensity of my focus into trying to get to an outcome or avoid an outcome. I am most fulfilled when I apply the intensity of my focus into the learning, upgrading of right. skills, what is and isn't working. And, and, you know, for me, when I'm at the edge of breaking through to a new level, 
is usually when I'm having to fight that battle the hardest and make that conscious choice right. of, okay, Chris, you're, you're looping around on the outcomes and you're suffering because right. of it. Um, and there's psychological and physiological things you can do to help with that because listeners could suffer if they thought it's just as easy as switching something. Sometimes it's going for a run, staying with your physical routine, supplementation, nutrition, all those help that process. Mm-hmm. How we yeah. go and learn. And that brings up, you know, this, and, you know, who knows if what I'm going to say is going to offend anybody, but it's, it's reality. It's this, it's this, I grew up young, you know, hearing the phrase, you can't teach old dogs new tricks. Mm. And, and then as I got older, I actually had a lot of friends um, who were older, who began to experience ageism in the workforce. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, it doesn't make any sense that you wouldn't hire somebody with 30 or 40 years experience who can guide you past all the mistakes that you're bound to make because you don't have the, that perspective. Um, and then as I began helping, as I began coaching and helping organizations hire people and develop people, I realized, you know, part of the challenge that folks with more experience bring to the table is they also bring more biases. They also can tend to not be as open to learning. There's only one way, you know, and it can tend to frustrate the learning process and it can tend to move, mm-hmm. pull a team out of flow. And okay, I'm not general, generalizing for everyone, but this is a tendency that anyone with knowledge can move toward. And so the greatest challenge I have as a coach and as somebody who hires and develops people is when you bring somebody into the organization who has a lot of experience and has exactly what you want, are they going to be coachable? Are they going to be trainable? Are they somebody that, that can bring that experience and knowledge to a new situation in a new time, in a new day, in a new company, in a new environment, and leverage that experience as knowledge, as data to feed a new decision-making process unencumbered by judgment of what based on their past experiences, or am I going to bring somebody in who's just going to stifle creativity, stifle growth, become a barrier, uh, and and challenge the organization every step of the way? That's the point for me of the relaxed intensity. It brings the new learning. You know, so it's like after age 40, the percentage of actually making changes and thinking new thoughts about yourself like the number, I forget, it's so low. After 50, it's virtually non-existent. So, you know, statistically speaking, now we're all dedicated to being the exception, not the norm, to be the anomaly. I want to be 67 years old and go, whoa, I'm upgrading my paradigm for reality. I'm thinking a new thought. I'm leaving the current box that I'm in. And I think when you're when you're growing that way, you can't unthink those thoughts. They're like revelations. They they change you, and the relaxed intensity has you in the place that you can see and experience and feel and hear those insights. So whether it's a moment of performance like Sean White, he walked away knowing something about himself that he didn't know as well before, or it's in the many many sessions of practice. The relaxed intensity keeps us in a place that we can think those new thoughts. Mm. I love that. You know, what that's making me think of uh, is, you know, we start off talking about flow as a situational hmm. moment or a situational experience. But 
we've ended up thinking about flow as a lifelong experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, can you imagine being in your 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s? Um, you know, if you're learning, if you're always challenged, if you're always asking questions, if you're always, if you maintain that curiosity, wouldn't life at 80 or 90 be as revealing and fulfilling as as life in, at 60 or 40 or 30? Dude, that's, I mean, I can't recreate a past moment of flow. I can't attach to it. I can only embrace what is and get to the next moment. And the point of wisdom, you know, I think we talked about this in an earlier episode. It's for that age place of expansiveness at 80, 70, 90, whatever, to affirm what the younger are learning, to guide them from necessary unnecessary ditches, but to affirm those things. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So instead of complaining about millennials <laughs> or now Zoomers or Zoomers, you know, business executives, leaders can embrace the difference, embrace the differences, be curious about what that new generation is bringing to the table. And then and think about how they can leverage that new perspective to help them achieve the things that they the new things they want to achieve. Yeah, because nothing's new under the sun. The, the millennials now are complaining about the Zoomers in the workforce. <laughs> There's all kinds of articles about it. It's hilarious. I'm raising two Zoomers, so I'm, I'm you know. <laughs> Before we get sidetracked, uh, I want to bring it. I want to hold it there because what you just said, Jimmy, was like the perfect place to leave us and uh, and contemplate on, like this idea of flow, relaxed intensity. Mm-hmm being a life experience, not just a situational outcome or a performance hack. Um, Cause I do believe this, like finding relaxed intensity is, I use these words carefully, is your biggest fight every day. You're not gonna fight to get flow, <laughs> but you can fight to uh, get in, create the environment or experience to, to experience flow. More than your uh, goals to hit a sales quota or initiate change at work or recruit new talent. Like, if you can find that relaxed intensity, that flow state, everything else comes with it. Mm. Yeah, something to think about. It's something to think about. Thank you. Fun conversation, guys. I love this stuff. Um, Been a joy to go through the the mindsets with you guys, hear your perspectives on it. so that wraps up another episode. Chris, good to be with you guys again. See you next time. Cheers. Peace.